Welcome to The Read Along. A mini book club for your ears. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at at a time. time. Do you like talking about movies? Do you like talking about mediocre movies? Do you like talking about how you could have fixed mediocre movies? Well, I certainly do, and you can listen to me, Scott C. Bourgeois, along with my co-hosts Greg Beaver and Liam Kreswick, as we give our notes, and I have some notes. You can follow it now on your podcatcher of choice, or support it by visiting patreon.com slash I have some notes. Little girl birthday party went well. Just to give you an update on that. <laughs> if anyone is paying attention to our personal lives. Despite us not really doing much in the way of like spectacular planning. Well, it's not like we hired a bouncy castle or anything. No. Right? Like there there weren't any clown troops. We didn't have any princesses come by. Well, I mean, she's four years old and it didn't need to be. No, all she wants Huge. to do, all she wants to do is eat cupcakes and play with toys with her friends. Yeah. Right? And, and that's so exactly we what we did. That. Yeah. Exactly. Like again, when we asked her what do you want to do for your birthday, her answer was cupcakes. So, <laughs> okay. There were cupcakes. Yes, there were. There were toys, there was playing with some of her closest friends. She had a great time. I think so. Yeah. I think the other kids had a good time too. Yeah. I mean, future birthdays maybe we'll go a little more all out. Well, yeah. But when uh, she's likely to remember them. Yeah. Plus, I mean, the beginning of February is a bad time to do something elaborate. (laughs) And outdoors. And outdoors because of the, you know, snow and cold. Yes. So we make do. And I mean, we we went to like like an indoor playground last year. Yeah. That was sort of to make up for all the lack of birthdays she got because there was a pandemic on. Yeah. And we couldn't throw her a birthday party. Or it was much more difficult to do it in any meaningful way. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but overall, good time was had by all. Indeed. There was so much sugar. Anywho. Yeah. (laughs) We have a book to talk about and there's so much to talk about. Yeah. This was not a short chapter. Well, no, it was, it was fine in terms of length, but there was a lot of info packed into these pages. Bit crunchy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get on. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's get into it. Starting with a brief recap of our previous chapter in which Mallory and Cornelia leave the autopsy, have a a bit of a powwow bandying some theories back and forth until they're picked up by a pair of fairies. (laughs) As you do. Who drive them back to Cornelia's house where they're met by Diana and the whole business with the fairies. Uh, leaves Mallory in such a funk that she needs to go and have an angry nap. And that is pretty much where we leave off as we segue into chapter eight of The Undetectables by Courtney Smith. (laughs) An angry nap. (laughs) So I really like the term angry nap. That's very funny. Mallory returns downstairs to find that in the hour that she was taking her angry nap. Her friends were very productive. They've managed to get the whole lab all set up and ready to go. They've got an area partitioned off for Theodore so he doesn't accidentally blow up all their stuff. Yeah. Uh, They've set up a chicken board. (laughs) Have we explained the chicken board? Not recently. Okay. A quick why we call it a chicken board. She calls it a murder board, which is- Accurate. Far more accurate. 
but it stems from a role-playing game that we were playing years and years ago where the party was trying to solve a mystery and had also put together a board. There was all this writing around town written in blood, and then we realized it was chicken blood because we found the chicken. And so one of our party members took the chicken and stapled it to the board. And so they started referring to it as the chicken board. The chicken board. Yeah. So So now murder boards are chicken boards. You're all caught up. Let's carry on. This is a tough chapter to kind of go through beat by beat because it's mostly just like uh, let's talk about clues sort of situation. So we're we're just going to kind of go through point by point. Yeah, we'll do our best. Yeah. Like I said, there's a lot in this chapter. There's so much to unpack. It's great. So I think a good place to start is to finally get caught up on what Diana learned. Diana explains that uh, when she went to the crime scene, she did exactly what she had intended to do, which was to snoop around, see if she found any clues that uh, somebody might have left behind. Some evidence that was overlooked, get a feel for the room, what have you. And she ended up getting caught by a a police officer who showed up. She, thinking on her feet, gave the excuse that she's a forensic science student. A plausible lie. And was sent there by her mean classmates on basically a prank. Yeah. And now she's kind of stuck there looking at stuff. And apparently this is kind of bought by the cop who shows up, which she's at once very pleased with and a little disturbed by. (laughs) Because on the one hand, great, my lie worked. And on the other hand, I'm a little off put that the one magical cop in town is credulous enough to have believed that story without really probing. (laughs) Right? Like, you should be better at your job, officer. She does meet, however, the one magic cop in town. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, there's one member of the occulture who was seconded to the local security force. The constabulary, if you will. It's kind of implied partly because of this murder that she kind of got put in charge as a detective inspector. Yeah, I think so. And she's kind of leading this investigation, more or less. So she's actually a font of information. It's Detective Inspector O'Sullivan. And uh, she seems nice. Yeah, so far. Yeah. She drops a little bit of information uh, about the case to Diana, which mostly backs up stuff we already knew. Yes. Um, Which is actually a good thing. Yeah. This actually also gives Diana the idea to go and make a magical diorama. So that she can show everybody what she saw at the space? I was genuinely excited to hear her talk about this because I have heard of this. It's a very popular and now common training technique for forensic students that they will build these dioramas of known crime scenes. Nowadays, anyway, solved crimes so that they know exactly what happened and they can teach forensic students what to look for. Like, these are the kinds of evidences that, that are left behind. This is what this pattern means. See these marks on the wall? This was caused by a knife, right? Stuff they already know and done in these little dollhouses. And I think it's brilliant. Yeah, except Diana can actually animate the little Edward Custer. Yeah, which is cool. Doll that she's got so that they can kind of try to see how things might have gone down. Uh, using the the space as provided. But it also gives them an opportunity to help visualize things. Which is always helpful, I think. Yeah. We also learn a little bit more about Custer himself in this chapter. And unfortunately, what we learn is not great. No. Specifically, the dude was a shut-in. More or less. He went to work. He went home. That was it. Yeah, no family that they could find. No local friends. His closest friend was basically the person that he rented his flat from. Yeah, it was his roommate, and they exchanged sentences a couple times a week. Yeah, his roommate is the one who noticed that he hadn't come out of his room in like 
days. Days, yeah. And finally, like, called the police to come and do a wellness check, and that's when the body was found. So this is a person with, like, no social connections. No. Which, which is weird. Not just weird, suspect. Very. Because it implies to me that maybe our serial killer sought out someone who had no connections and wouldn't be noticed to be missing right away. Right. And which ties in with evidence that we'll talk about a little later when we get there. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, that means that there are no solid avenues of investigation to follow up with with Custer because he had no known enemies. Yeah, they had no one to talk to. (laughs) Yeah. Right? It's a bit of a a dead end, unfortunately, there. Well, yes, in that case. Now, you were half right in regards to the the symbol. (laughs) That's what I wrote in my notes. I'm like, I was so close. That was uh, carved on Custer's body because Theodore does recognize it, but it has nothing to do with Theodore himself. No, but he's the one who knew what it was. And. and, Which is awesome. Your theory about why the other three didn't immediately recognize it also held water, which is that it was something so mundane that they saw in everyday life that it just passed them over. Yeah, exactly. It didn't jump out at them. Basically, it's a church thing. Yeah, it's it's a I, I want to say a religious symbol, but not really an an a culture symbol. Yeah, it is the the pattern slash symbol of the three goddesses. Yeah, it's basically the symbol of the Turnian, who are the three kind of goddesses. Yeah, um, because I'm a nerd, what I wrote in my notebook was uh, this is basically the Triforce of a culture. Yeah, right. It represents Hexana, Elizabella, and Blair. Yes, who are. The three goddesses. Yeah. They're not really goddesses per se. They're kind of, they're they're a little more Jesus-y, I guess would be the best way to put uh, it. Yeah. It, there's there's this weird gray area, right, between having a religious view of it. Yeah. Well, because the two goddesses that are mentioned explicitly are Morrigan and Hecate. Okay. Yes. And these three, the Turnian, are kind of like their chosen ones. Yes. And it's unclear if they're like daughters wink or daughters literal. Um, which is something that all three of the girls can't quite agree on. And Theodore kind of supplies his official story, which he's <laughs> clearly cribbing from a magazine article, but is kind of presenting it as his own theory. Yes, exactly. Which I loved. But yeah, this is the symbol that they found carved on Custer's body. Yeah, so circles, lines, and stars. Strongly suggesting that there is indeed something ritualistic going on. Yes. Especially because it's surrounding the Samhain, which is a celebration of the Turnian. Yes. Also, Theodore has 100% endeared himself to me. He is fabulous, and he would be my best friend, and I love him forever. Again? Because he had done that three or four chapters Yeah, ago. I'm going to repeat myself a lot with this, because he does it constantly. Theodore, I love you so much. So, based on the conversation that the four of them are having, mm-hmm. right, where Theodore is reminding them, it was almost like recalling lessons from Sunday school. Kind of, yeah. For them. That's, it was a thing they had learned as children. That's a very good... Uh, metaphor for what's going yeah, on. Yeah, that's what it felt like to me. Um, they're, they're not super religious, so it's not something that they've kept up on. It's like half-remembered lessons from back in the day and symbology that they see every day, but in three different parts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then they started talking about like magical history, like why they're talking about these these three like chosen daughters. Yeah, and... apparently they were a big deal back in the Vampire Wars. Yes, exactly. So we get into the Vampire Wars. A and little bit, yeah. A little bit more history behind so it. So basically in a nutshell, because I, it probably isn't being explained if it isn't going to factor in later on. So this right? this might be a clue worth hanging on to. I thought so too. Vampires used to be super magical, but their magic is fueled by drinking people's blood. 
And the more blood they drink, the more bloodthirsty they get, the more powerful they get. Mm -hmm. And so the vampire wars put a kibosh on that. And much of a culture's society as it exists today was established in the wake of the vampire wars to kind of put a lid on all this. It's one of the reasons why all these little magical communities kind of keep on the DL a little bit. It's because we don't want another vampire wars to happen, basically. Yes. Part of this deal was that vampires had to stop drinking blood. Specifically witch blood, wasn't it? Yeah, but I think the implication is like blood in general, in, in large quantities at least. I don't know if vampires can subsist without blood in this world. We don't know the vampire lore inside no. and out here. But suffice to say, not in quantities that would make them a threat. Right. Yes. So all of that leads Nita to suspect that we are looking at a rogue vampire. Possibly. That's my guess based on what I have right now. That is my irresponsible <laughs> accusation. We might be looking at a rogue vampire. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to call it an irresponsible accusation at this point because we have no vampire characters yet for right? you to actually accuse. But uh, yeah, no, that's a solid theory. Thank you. One other anti-clue that gets brought up while they're discussing the clues, because they've found themselves with a locked room mystery. Nobody went into Custer's room. He went in by himself and he was found dead days later, right. seemingly murdered in a ritualistic fashion. There was no obvious point of entrance. There was no obvious point of exit. We know. We know he was thanks, killed by magic. Thanks yeah. to dramatic irony that he was killed by a magic spell, but... The group does not know that at this time. They have no physical evidence of the murder at the scene. The dude had no links to anybody in the community, so they have no leads to follow up on there. There's just this absence of clues. Like a void. Yeah. And Theodore actually points out that that in itself is a clue. Yes, that clearly someone is covering this up. Yes, because there's no way that this could have happened by accident. And the fact that somebody went to such extremes to leave no evidence behind is proof that this was premeditated. Yeah, is in fact evidence. And that it was meticulously enacted. Yes. So it yes, is yes. evidence, yes. He went a very roundabout, confusing way of explaining it, but I got it. No, because he was trying to lead Mallory to that conclusion. <laughs> he, he wanted her to make the deduction. So he was planting a little bread trail for her. He wasn't being circular. He wanted her to say it. Okay, fair enough. He wanted her to have a win. And then because he's a good friend. He is a good friend. That's why I adore him. Then we get into some magic science. Yes! I thought this part was cool and fascinating. Yeah, I, I realize that it's weird to say magic science, the science of magic, but that's what we get into. So Theodore is very excited to show off some work that he and Mallory have been theorizing in yeah. the past little bit that they can now put to practical use. And the first is a spell finger printer, which yes. quickly gets portmanteaued as the sprinter. <laughs> Mallory hates it, but she runs with it. Whatever. Cornelia has started it, and here we go. So in essence, the way it's described is that every spell has its own unique shape, as it were, its own specific magical frequencies. Yes. And if even a trace of that magic is left behind, you could identify it and thus identify what spell was used. Yes. Because of the specific energies and the specific shape that that magic took when it went yeah, off. exactly. And so they've actually been working for a while now, putting together a whole database, like a fingerprint database, of all the known spells they could possibly think of and load into this thing. The idea being that if they could find a trace of the magic that was used on Custer, they might be able to identify the spell that was used. And that might give them a clue. Yeah. They actually do try to do this because... We've got Cornelia's Beetles. Yes. Who picked up a little bit of that magical trace. Mm -hmm. And she's like, could you extract that magic so that we could test it? I love I love that the answer is, 
I think I'll just have to ask them nicely. Yeah. Like, she has to ask the Beatles to give up the magic. And I'm like, I love that. <laughs> it's so funny. Now, the good news is she is able to get the magic out of the Beatle, and they are able to test it. The bad news is... They don't know what it is. They don't know what it is. It comes up negative on the spell database. Mm-hmm. Which is what leads Theodore into the, aha, lack of evidence is in fact evidence. Yes. Theory, right? So basically these beetles are like magical cotton swabs. Kind of, yeah. Right? You know how forensics use the, the cotton swabs? To... Yes. Yeah. They also apparently put this together as a crutch for Mallory, though she's not willing to admit that to Diana and Cornelia well, at this time. Well, not out loud, but it seems yeah. a little obvious. So we were kind of discussing this a little before we recorded because Nita wanted to try to make sense of this. I didn't quite understand how this machine would have helped her. Yeah. And I think that it's in the way that it's described as um, there are two th- kind of elements to casting a spell when you're a witch. One is the production of the magic. And one is the use of the magic. And the sprinter would allow her to kind of shortcut around the production of the magic. Anita was like, well, how would that work? And what we've hypothesized. Hold on. Let's let's recreate our conversation. (laughs) Yes. Is that basically Mallory is trying to become a wizard in a world full of sorcerers. (laughs) If you understand D&D terminology. Yes. And so I went. Oh, I get it. Yeah. In this world, in order to cast a spell, because it's earlier described as using magic takes effort. It takes work. Yes. It's like a physical exertion. Yeah. And so half of that is in um, generating the spell power to make the magic happen. And part of it is also shaping that spell power into the effect that you want. Yes. And therein lies kind of that fingerprint. What the sprinter would allow her to do is basically have that shape pre-programmed so that she can just push the energy through it. Yeah. So that you can do half the work to create the same effect. Right. I hope we have this right. Because yeah. this makes a lot of sense to me now. That's that's how we're reading it. So in a way, she's trying to learn formulas or have access to formulas so that she doesn't need to shape the magic, creating a sort of crutch for herself so that she can still use magic without exerting herself as much. Yes, exactly. She could be a witch again because magic is... Too much effort for her right now. Magic is apparently also elemental. Which makes sense. Because they also have hypothesized that they might be able to identify what kind of magic is being used by running it through essentially a mass spectrometer. Yes! Because much like every other element, magic should be identifiable by its base components. Yeah. That's exactly how it's explained in the book. Like, Everything is made up of base elements, yeah. including magic, right? So if if you can identify those base elements, it will tell you something about the magic. Yeah. So what they need to do is get their hands on a mass spectrometer. And that's the reason why this remains theoretical, because they're very expensive and big. Yes. And Cornelia, for whom money is no object, is just like, put it on my credit card. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, it's Go on Amaz- expensive. Go on Amazon and order one today. Let's get this going. And she's like, I don't think you understand how much money I actually have. Let's just get one. And I was like, wow. <laughs> it just, it's bonkers. My parents won't care. They're not even going to ask questions about Here's it. Here's the thing. They're not going to care. They're probably not. They may know. never come back to this house ever again. Yeah, it's, they don't like it much anymore because Theodore's there. <laughs> kind of literally mansion. haunting the place. Where they've accommodated a ghost because they feel bad that he died there and they've built this huge lab in the basement. <laughs> like, 
it's bonkers and I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. So two other quick points. This is episode starting to get a little long in the tooth. Sorry. Uh, before we wrap up, the first is that the Beatles do whistle at them. Yeah. And they're confused by this. Well, because it just sort of happens. Yeah. Well, they're trying to like figure out what's up with the magic yeah, they, that's being used. They ball up, they change color, and they whistle at them. Yeah. And right? well, we know that the serial killer is the whistler because we've read the blurb on the back of the book, it's and true. that is fair game. So my thinking is that that's just a clue that they don't recognize yet. Makes sense. That the shape of the magic inside of the Beatles is this like sonic magic mm-hmm. that the Whistler's using. That makes sense. Um, the other is a message that was found in Custer's apartment that was evidenced by the police. Yeah, that Diana like got a glimpse of. Yeah. Right? And it's kind of like a bad poem. And it looks like weird notes to me. Yeah, it's enough that Mallory and Diana both think that it might be some kind of like cryptic clue or puzzle, but they can't quite figure it out. No. It says, worthy I am who never learn of Dross Lord souls dot 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 find the end near comes more exclamation one three. It seems like someone was writing across two different pieces of paper, right? Almost, and we only yeah. have half of it. Yeah. We only have half of it. Uh, those are clearly both clues that are worth mentioning. <laughs> and I hope will make sense later. Indeed. And the chapter ends with Mallory being informed she's moving in. Yes. And her continuing to be kind of a piece of work. Yeah. Upset at her friends, but hopefully she gets over it. Yeah, but she's torn because on the one hand, she's sad because like at one point, Cornelia takes a text from someone and mentions someone by name, but cuts herself off. Yeah, but. And Mallory assumes, like, immediately spirals into, oh, Cornelia's got a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and that, that makes sense. Someone someone better and cooler than me. Someone better and cooler. Oh, oh, darn. She goes all Eeyore immediately. <laughs> I'm just not cool enough to be hanging out with. That's exactly what she does. She goes full Eeyore. And then uh, at the same time, though, she's elated that she's moving in with them. Right? She's like, yeah. this is the best. So she is... As you say, a piece of work. But we're working on her. And I, before we go, I do want to give a shout out to the colored lab coats that they all wear. Yeah, they all have color-coded lab coats. <laughs> I love it. There's, what, a pink one, a blue one, and a black one? Well, because, of course, Cornelia is wearing a black one. Of lab course coat. she is. I just, I got to that part, and I'm like, yes, of course, and I love it. Yeah. But that's where we'll end off for this week. A uh, lot to chew on and think about as we move into chapter nine of our novel, which you'll want to read up on in time for next week. In the meantime, of course, you'll want to give us a little rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. Because we would appreciate it we, very much. We do. You can also reach out to us via social media. Yes, we are on X, Instagram, Facebook, Goodreads, and now Blue Sky. We are at the read along on most of those. You can also send us an email. Yes. Uh, we are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. For more magical sciences. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along and check out our group on Goodreads.com.
Thank you.